With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Mechanism of death 
Okay, I think it's a fascinating. Uh, uh, Regardless of its size, 
is part of the waters of the United States. I wonder if that would go to your well, too. Sure. Their position is in contradiction to the Supreme Court ruling in 2001 and again in 2006, restricting the EPA to flowing in sizable, relatively permanent bodies of water, such as oceans, rivers, streams, and lakes. Of course, progressives just keep trying until they get what they want, and they never have enough. This proposed rule change is now in a 90-day comment period, during which they will assess just how much they can get away with based upon public outcry and pushback. Senator Vintner accused the EPA of picketing, choosing their science, and of attempting to take another step toward outright permitting authority over virtually any wet area in the country. He also warned that if approved, more private owners would expect to be sued by environmental groups. Senator Lisa Murkowski, Republican Arkansas, shares Vitter's concerns, warning of potential economic damage and questioning the EPA's motivations. She said it appears that the EPA is dramatically seeking to expand its jurisdictional jurisdictional, that's a mouthful, reach under the Clean Water Act. If the EPA is not careful, this rule could effectively give the federal government control over nearly all of our states. Of course, this is exactly what they are after, as well as 49 other states and territories. Rick Wells, a conservative author who believes in adherence to the U.S. Constitution, would solve many of today's uh, problems, he thinks. You can like him on Facebook. He wrote this, and follow him on Twitter. Right, um, you know that 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 goes against every every title in the in the country. I mean, where everybody owns their riparian rights. Okay, to everything underground. Oh, and, this is even above, on top of ground. Above ground and and below ground, and they're putting a they're putting a lien on on rain. All right, now you know, come on, folks. Here's something that. Uh, Really so that's in celebration of Earth Day for the government. Yeah, so much for, for Obama and his beggars of misery. Oh, God, I hate this government. Western mainstream media and medicine, a mechanism of death. Not all doctors are sold out. Some have held firmly to their honor and sanity, such as Dr. Billy DeMoss, the man behind California Jam, the fastest chiropractic event on the planet is one of those people. He is a solid supporter of our fight against geoengineering, and I'm very impressed with his unique approach to waking up sleeping masses about the lies our medical system feeds us. Now, this is from Dane Wigington um, geoengineering.org. Uh, Medicine in the U.S. frequently causes more harm than good. In an article titled Death by Medicine, a synopsis of published literature proves that government-protected medicine is by far the leading killer in this country, way ahead of cancer and heart disease. New statistics equate the death toll from medicine at the level of six fully loaded jumbo jets crashing every day. And they even say this is considering there is an underreporting of uh, itrogenic or adverse condition in patient resulting from treatment by a physician or surgeon events. This patient, uh, this paper is authorized by three MDs and two PhDs, 
not some uh, conspiracy quack like me. Uh, statistics include 420,000 deaths from properly applied adverse drug reactions and medical error at an annual cost of $200 billion. Other stats uh, take their toll as well, including bed sores. Uh, no so camoyo hospital acquired infections, which happens to 20% of the people that enter hospitals, the temples of death, and unnecessary procedures, malnutrition, blotched surgeries for a grand total of 999,936 uh, estimated deaths from medical intervention at a cost of $468 billion. You see, the media would never cover this blatant death toll because they would be bad for business. They cover a BS like the measles epidemic to scare the sheeple into more senseless medical intervention like the pink elephant is in the living room. The scariest thing is that people trust the health uh, of their newborns to one of the most dangerous practitioners, practitioners on earth, the drug-pushing pediatrician. You see, most people could never admit that they have been duped to dope as they moronically line up their sheep to slaughter to have their children injected with an elixir that's far more dangerous and hideous than witches brew. But you see, the world is waking up to all the lies promoted by the media. That is why you desperate childish acts promote this broken paradigm of death and disease. But go ahead and shoot up. Shoot up take the pills, have the unnecessary surgeries, go ahead and sacrifice you and your children to the allopathic altars of the gods of human death and destruction, but please don't ask us or force us to get on board your 747 that is headed straight to hell. For the full article, those of you that actually want to read and stomach the truth, <laughs> I like this guy, go to uh, www.lef.org magazine mag whatever it goes on here is the pure brilliance if you had a choice of getting measles or autism which you would uh, which one would you pick it now estimated that one out of 50 boys that are now vaccinated are autistic the reality the reality is that any child that is injected with the filth fil from an MMR vaccine has some degree of neurological disease that may so infinitesimally of neurological disease might be so infinitesimally slight that it That's goes right. without That's any right. significant outward clues. But maybe your child would have been smarter or at greater physical agility if his developing nervous system was not exposed to toxic metals, but it's your choice. Roll the dice, baby. It's all Russian roulette to the wide awake. I have something to read here. Glenn Greenwald, I'm going to play the, the audio, sure. explains what kind of threat he faces be, to, by coming to the United States. He's the reporter that, um, that, that Snowden talked to, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, BBC. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah, we're under a lot of problems. They sense of that. Maybe. Oh, no, there it is. Taking a while to come up on this. Buffering. Welcome back to Reliable Forces. 
I'm going to see if I can get it higher while you... Uh, I, I've got a Maybe you can go to her. I can't get this high enough, folks. Award, 
um, and that it was given um, to The Guardian and to The Washington Post for the work that we had done was, was really gratifying because I think that is what the ideal was that we always tried to fulfill, which was doing the reporting in the public service. We saw Congressman Peter King, one of your sharpest critics, right on Twitter on Monday right afterwards. He said, awarding the Pulitzer to Snowden enablers is a disgrace. Anything you'd like to say back to him about that? <laughs> you know, I mean, I look at Peter King's condemnation as, as an enormous badge of honor. Um, you know, if you look at what people were saying about Daniel Ellsberg in the New York Times in 1971, which is now widely recognized as extraordinarily heroic and noble and important reporting, the Peter Kings of that era were saying the same thing. They actually were threatening the New York Times with prosecution. They impaneled a grand jury to, to consider prosecuting them. Senior Obama administration officials were suggesting what we were doing is criminal as well, and, and that's just part of, I think, what journalism is, is if you want to be adversarial to those who wield power, you have to expect that those who wield power aren't going to like what you're doing very much. And not only does that bother me, I see that as, as, as a vindication that what I'm doing is the right thing. Let me play that infamous clip now, uh, now infamous clip, of David Gregory talking to you last year on Meet the Press. Why shouldn't you, Mr. Greenwald, be charged with a crime? I think it's pretty extraordinary that anybody who would call themselves a journalist would publicly muse about whether or not other journalists should be charged with felonies. For what it's worth, I, I think David Gregory knew the answer to that question that he was asking you, but I wonder if you think the Pulitzer Board was sending a message with this public service award to people who may actually wonder why you weren't charged with a crime. Were they trying to make a statement by presenting this public service award? I think it made a statement, whether that was their intent or not. I, I don't know. I, I assume it was. The people on the committee are longtime journalists and, and presumably interested in defending basic press freedoms. And, Brian, to me, this is one of the most important things that I think has happened in this story is it wasn't just David Gregory. It was this series, and, and, and it escalated recently, of not just people like Peter King but Mike Rogers and, and James Clapper and Keith Alexander um, allied governments in Canada explicitly calling me uh, personally and, and my colleagues criminals for reporting on the story. And they wanted to create this climate where there was this serious possibility that those of us who were doing the reporting could be criminally prosecuted. And, and I think one of the reasons why I was willing to come back to the United States when I did is because I knew that the Polk Awards as well as the Pulitzers were this week, um, and it would make it very difficult for them to follow through on those threats. But that climate of fear was deliberately cultivated at the highest levels of the U.S. government, and I think the Pulitzer Board did answer that rather me, resoundingly. Uh, let me ask you about coming back to the U.S. When we've spoken on this program before, you've come to us from Brazil, where you spent most of your time. You hadn't come to the United States since the Snowden stories uh, began to be published. Tell me about that decision-making process. It sounds like the awards were part of it. But did you also seek out any assurances from the U.S. government that you would be able to enter the country freely? We did. I mean, I had lawyers working for several months, including many who have, or at least some who have, connections at the highest levels of the Justice Department trying to get some indication about what the government's intentions were if I were to try to return. And they were given no information. They were completely stonewalled. The government wouldn't say if there was a grand jury impaneled if there was an indictment under seal, if they intended to arrest us. They wanted to keep us in this state of uncertainty. When you combine that with all the threats that I just referenced, there clearly was some risk um, of coming back. But at the same time, we just felt on principle that I was no longer going to be will – I was no longer willing to be kept in a single country and kept out of my own country based on these sort of implicit threats and bullying techniques. And if they really wanted to, to do something, I wanted to force the issue and make them do it. 
your critics might say you've trumped up this possible threat. Did you really feel you, you would you were concerned about coming back that they could actually, for example, yeah. stop you at customs and interrogate you or even arrest you? The senior official, national security official in the Obama administration, is James Clapper, who repeatedly called us accomplices, which is taken from the criminal law. The chairman of the House uh, Intelligence Committee, Mike Rogers, explicitly called me a criminal and a thief and tried to convince. FBI Director James Comey to arrest me. The U.K. government detained my partner for nine hours under a terrorism law. Of course it was a threat, and they wanted us to think it was a threat. We didn't concoct those statements mm. for those actions. They did that themselves on purpose to try and create this menacing climate. And I believe you have a book coming out very soon, coming out in May, right? I do. So that's one of the reasons why I intend to come back to the U.S. a lot. The, the, I think the material in the book, which includes a lot of new stories, from the Snowden Archive um, has a lot of impact for the United States, and, and I want to be able to come back and, and talk to the people most affected by that story, which are Americans. And so that's. So I thought I thought the book was mostly going to be about uh, the reporting so far, but you're saying it's also going to have new information from the. Document. Yeah, there are stories that I felt from the beginning really needed the length of the book to be able to report and, and do justice to. Um, so there's new documents, there's new revelations in the book um, that I think will help inform the debate even further. Do you feel the Pulitzer and the Polk Award and the other awards you're going to be accepting in the future for this reporting as well legitimizes the reporting in a way that might change people's minds? Maybe take a random person who doesn't believe the documents should have ever been leaked and maybe persuade them that they, they in fact should have been leaked? Or do you think people's minds are already made up about this topic? No, I think we've seen a lot of flux in public opinion polls where large numbers of people who originally were quite hostile to Edward Snowden and to the reporting have come to view the disclosures much differently. And, and sure, I mean, if it were just a matter of a single award, I don't think that would persuade anyone. But given that pretty much every single major journalism award in the Western world has recognized the vital importance of these disclosures, I think the accumulative effect of all of that is to convey to the public um, that this information needed to get out and it was in the public interest that it did so. And I do think that can sway a lot of people to understand why why Edward Snowden did what he did and, and why we did what we did. Glenn Greenwald, thank you so much for being here. Congratulations Thanks again. very much, Brian. Thanks for having me. As always, I'd love to know what you think of the program today. about the Greenwald the powers that they found out that they were spied on, too, that's why they looked at that. That's, that's, what, right. that's what happened. And he, they became, uh, you know, his revelation became, uh, you know, yeah. worldwide. Nobody likes being spied on, but the people in the inner circle even hate it more. They were offended when they found out they were spied on. Yes. Well, something really frightening. We, we've reported some on this, but probably not enough because it really hasn't been that much. Uh, there hasn't been that much in the news, but the Japanese government hides the truth. Fukushima radiation are killing children, TEPCO employees. That's not a surprise, is it? Students walked near a Geiger counter measuring a radiation level of um, point, uh, 0.12 uh, microsieverts per hour at Oka, Omika, Omika in elementary school, located about 21 kilometers or 13 miles from the tsunami crippled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. Um, Katsutaka Ito Gawa, a former Katsutaka mayor of Futaba, a town near the You pronounce every letter in Japanese, Futaba. 
uh, a town near the disabled Fukushima um, nuclear plant is warning this country that radiation contamination is affecting Japan's uh, greatest treasure, its children. Mm. Asked about um, asked about government plans to relocate the people of Fatuba to the city of Awaki um, inside the Fukushima prefecture, Aidogawa criticized the move as a violation of human rights. Compared with, with Chernobyl, radiation levels around Fukushima are four times higher. Oh, my God. He told our, uh, Russian TV, Sophie, whatever her name is. Chevronad. Okay, uh, adding that it's too early for people to come back to Fukushima Prefecture. It is by no means safe, no matter what the government says. Aidogawa uh, alleges that the government has started programs to return people to their towns despite the danger of radiation. Fukushima Prefecture has launched the Come Home campaign. In many cases, evacuees are forced to return. The former mayor produced a map of the Fukushima Prefecture, I guess maybe that's the area, yeah, the area. that shows the air con contamination decreased a little, but the soil contamination remains the same. Yeah. According to Aido Gawa, there are about 2 million people residing in the prefecture who are reporting all sorts of medical issues, but the government insists these conditions are unrelated to the Fukushima accident. Aidogawa wants their denial in writing. I demand that the authorities substantiate their claim in writing, but they ignored my request. Once again, Aidogawa alludes to the nuclear tragedy that hit Ukraine on April 26, 1986, pleading um, that the Japanese people never forget Chernobyl, yet few people seem to be heeding the former government officials' warning. They believe what the government says. Well, in reality, radiation is still here, that it's killing children. They die of heart conditions, asthma, leukemia, thyroiditis. Lots of kids are extremely exhausted after school. Others are simply unable to attend PE classes. But authorities still hide the truth from us, and I don't know why. Don't they have children of their own? It hurts so much to know they can't protect our children. They say Fukushima Prefecture is safe, and that's why nobody is working to evacuate children and move them elsewhere. We're not even allowed to discuss this. The former mayor found it ironic that when discussing the Tokyo Olympics schedules for 2020, Prime Minister Abe frequently mentions the, the Japanese word omotenashi, which literally means you should treat people with an open heart. In Ideogawa's opinion, the same treatment does not apply equally to the people most intimately connected with Fukushima, the workers involved in the cleanup operations. Their equipment was getting worse, preparations were getting worse, so people had to think about their safety first. That's why those who understood the real danger of radiation began to quit. Now we have unprofessional people working there. They don't really understand what they're doing. That's the kind of people who use the wrong pumps who make mistakes like that. I'm really ashamed for my country, but I have to speak the truth for the sake of keeping our planet clean in the future. Aido Ogawa then made some parallels with one of the most tragic events in the history of Japan, the use of atomic bombs on the industrial cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki by the U.S. at the end of World War II. 
The authorities lied to everyone about the effects of the atomic bombings. They hid the truth. That's the situation we are living in. It's not just Fukushima. Japan has some dark history. This is sort of a sacrifice to the past. When pressed on the details of the United Nations report that says there have been no radiation-related deaths for acute diseases observed among the workers in general, Papa Idogawa dismisses it as completely false before providing some of his own experiences at the height of the crisis. When I was mayor, I knew many people who died from heart attacks, and then there were many people in Fukushima who died suddenly, even among young people. It's a real shame that the authorities hide the truth from the whole world, from the UN. We need to admit that actually many people are dying. We are not allowed to say that, but TEPCO employees also are dying, but they must keep mum about it. When asked to provide solid figures on the actual number of people who died under such circumstances, Idogawa refrained, saying, it's not just one or two people. We're talking about 10 to 20 people who died this way. Asked about other options that Japan has for providing energy sources to its 126 million people, he responded that despite having many rivers, the government neglects to promote hydro energy. Why? Because it's not profitable for big companies. Idogawa goes on to provide a blueprint for filling Japanese energy needs that sounds surprisingly simple. We can provide electricity for a large number of people even with a limited investment without taxes. Just use gravity, and we may have so much energy that there's no need for nuclear plants anymore. Premonitions of disaster. Even before the massive failure of Fukushima nuclear power plant on March 11, 2011, the day northeastern Japan was hit by an earthquake, triggered tsunami uh, that caused the meltdown of three of the plant's six nuclear reactors. Odegawa knew the facility was dangerous. He said, I asked them about potential accidents at a nuclear power plant, pretending I didn't know anything about it, and it turned out that they were unable to answer any of the questions, he said. Frankly, that's when it first crossed my mind that their management didn't have a contingency plan. It was then that I realized the facility could be dangerous. And the former mayor, who happened to be in the nearby town on the day the tsunami struck, recalled driving back to Futaba uh, upon news of the earthquake. Only later did he discover how close he came to losing his life in the approach in the tsunami. Ooh. Yeah. And he said, I managed to um, get there before the bigger tsunami came. It was only later that I realized I had escaped the water. I got lucky, and the tsunami came over after I drove off the ro that road and up the mountains. And it, this thing goes on a little bit more, but the important thing is to note that... Um, you get the picture. You get the picture. Everything is, is a mess over there, and it still is, and they're talking about it. Pretty sad. Yeah. Here's something here. Um... The SEC has just been caught colluding with banks it's supposed to regulate. Yep. That's nice. Oh, yeah. This is from Vox, updated by Matthew Yaglasis. Reuters financier blogger Felix Salmon had posted earlier this week headline, Yes, the SEC was colluding with banks on CDO prosecutions. 
This ought to be huge news. The Securities and Exchange Commission is one of the main agencies that's supposed to be regulating Wall Street. But they've been essentially caught red-handed working together with Goldman Sachs to make it look like Goldman was paying a huge fine when really they're paying a small one. Sadly, though, the story probably won't get much attention from the general public because the CDO prosecution issued a little obscure and it hasn't really been in the news for years. But people ought to understand this story. It's a very big deal, not so much because the case was all that important, but because it speaks directly to the, directly to the question of whether or not our government institutions have the will and the ability to regulate the financial sector. Not when they appoint their partners to these agencies. That's the problem and their friends. To understand what this means, start with something simple like mortgage or an auto loan. The good news for the lender is that he earns a profit, the interest rate on the money lent out. The bad news is that the borrower may default. So now imagine you had 10 roughly similar loans. A person who owned one-tenth of each of those loans would earn the same interest rate as someone who owned a single loan. But the odds of all 10 loans defaulting simultaneously are low. A package that consisted of one-tenth of 10 separate loans would be a very simple form of collateralized debt obligation. The same principle can be applied, however, to create very complicated securities Investment banks did a lot of this during the pre-crisis years and believed that these securities were very safe, fueled a lot of lending activity. What did the banks do wrong? Two slightly different but fundamentally similar things. On one set of allegations involved banks creating market CDOs that they believed to be risky and marketing them as safe, and then making side bets that the CDO in question would go bust. Another set of allegations involved banks marketing CDOs whose contents were actually selected by third parties. Third parties were making bets that the CDO would go bust. In in either case, the basic claim was a fraudulent marketing of the security. In general, people who sell products that fail are held in low regard. People who sell products that they know to be likely to fail are held in lower regard. But who sells those products that they, in fact, intend to fail and who've arranged financial bets such that the failure would result in higher profits are held in even lower regard? Once the full extent of the financial crisis became clear, these sorts of deals were widely criticized and the Security and Exchange Commission, which is supposed to prevent misconduct, misconduct, misconduct in final man, markets, financial markets, began a series of investigations. What happened? Investigations were launched against various banks. Each investigation focused on a particular CDO and the cir- circumstances of its creation and marketing. All of the investigations were settled for sums of money that were quite large relative to the size of the CDO in question, though small relative to the size of the banks doing that business. What's wrong with that? Well, nothing. It's more about what happened next, or rather what didn't happen next. Each bank settled a single case, 
and then there were no more cases. But superficially, each of the banks involved in the litigation had created several CDOs that looked similar in relevant ways. It's, of course, perfectly possible that further scrutiny revealed that not every superficially similar CDO was equally bad. But the SEC's conclusion that every bank had created one and only one prosecution CDO was extremely fishy. This would be one heck of a coincidence, what we do know now. What is now looking clearer and clearer is that the settlements were not as advertised. The banks paid money, in Goldman Sachs' case, $550 million, not to settle one CDO suit, but to settle all the CDO suits. So rather than Goldman Sachs paying $550 million for wrongdoing around the Abacus CDO, <coughs> then facing 10 more charges related to 10 other suspicious CDOs, it was paying the price of $55 million per, per CDO to settle all 11 cases. Except the SEC didn't want to look like it was letting the banks get away with a slap on the wrist, so it worked out the arrangement whereby both sides would act publicly if only in one case had been settled while agreeing under the table that all claims were now resolved. What creep. How do we know? We know this because of the Freedom of Information Act request filed by American lawyer <coughs> pursuant to their investigation of Abacus Investigation in her article on the subject of the 2,000 pages of documents she received, Susan Beck focuses on slightly different issues, the internal disagreements among the SEC staff, whether to, re to pursue the abacus investigation further up the Goldman Sachs hierarchy rather than stopping with the relatively low-level fab torf. But as Felix Salmon observes, Beck's article, and the document she obtained to write it also confirms his long-standing suspicion of conclusion between the SEC and the banks in question on the settlement. This goes on a little bit. But why is this story important, do you think? Oh, it's pride, Lila. Yeah. It's pride. And they got off with what, a little slap on the wrist? Yeah, so what prevents yeah. them from doing it again? Not a thing. No individuals were punished for this. No, 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 no. It's just like the Dow Jones, Dow Jones Index is the greatest of all Ponzi schemes. Uh, since the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the oldest stock exchange in the U.S. and the most influential in the world, consists of 30 companies and has an extremely interesting and distressing history regarding its beginnings transformation and structural development, which is all the trappings of what is commonly referred to as pyramid or Ponzi scheme. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the Dow Jones. The Dow Jones Index uh, was first published in 1896 when it consisted of just 12 constituents. It was a simple price index uh, in which the sum total value of the shares of the 12 constituents was simply divided by 12. As such, those shares with the highest prices had the greatest influence on the movements of the index as a whole. In 1916, the Dow 12 became the Dow 20, with four companies being removed from the original 12 and 12 new companies being added. In October 1928, the Dow 20 became the Dow 30, but the 
calculation of the index was changed to be the sum of the value of the shares of the 30 constituents divided by what is known as the Dow divisor. What a, what a, what a so, scam. I always wondered about that. I always wondered. Ever since I was a kid, you know, and they said, oh, you know, Walter Cronkite used to say, the Dow Jones average yeah. was, was whatever it was. So what the hell is a Dow Jones average? Why, how did these guys make up all the stock market, you know? I don't know. And, well, we know. It's because it's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it says, the Dow Jones Index, in October 28th, the Dow Jones 20 became the Dow Jones 30, but the calculation index never changed. Okay, and it shows the 30 constituents divided by what is known as the Dow Advisor. Which is still 12? Yeah. Well, I guess. But while the inclusion of the Dow Advisor may have been totally straightforward. It was and still is anything but. Why so? Because every time the number of or specific constituent companies change in the index, any comparison of the new index value with the old index value is impossible to make with any validity whatsoever. It is like comparing the taste of a cocktail of fruits when a number of different fruits and their distinctive flavors keep changing. <laughs> Let me explain. Excuse me. The aforementioned, as it relates to. Excuse me. Wow. Well, well, yeah, I don't really think I want to get into all that either. It's kind, of, it's kind of freaky because, I mean, it's just a joke. It's all, it's all a made-up thing. You know? get more of your money. That's all it is. Here's a good one, a little audio piece. Endless war in the surveillance state. If you go down a little further, Leo. Okay. Excuse me. God bless you. That's about an hour long. Oh, it is? Yeah, it's very, very long. Let's go. We've only got 15 minutes. Let's go back to a couple of things here. Excuse me, folks. I, I didn't get a chance to preview that. Um... Congressman takes on APAC and gets thrown in prison. This is an audio. Okay. Former Congressman challenges APAC and gets thrown into prison for nearly eight years. Now he believes he could be killed if he continues to speak out against government Oh, we corruption. can't talk about, the, about the, 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 the control of the Zionists in the United States. This is Lebradowski of We Are Change.org, and I'm here with the one and only James Trafficant, former congressman. I mean, they threw the book at you. You spent seven years in jail. Which names are those? Congressman. Now, of course, you have a very illustrious, amazing career. Um, I think you've been through a lot. I mean, you've been thrown into jail for seven years on many charges. Almost eight. Almost eight. Uh, you were, you know, not in a country club jail. You were pretty much... I was in prison. Yeah. Usually when politicians go to prison, they yeah. get the country club jail. You no, got they, the real prison. I had one of the counselors at one place said that I was placed in that particular prison because 60% of the population were illegal immigrants and that they knew that I passed legislation to put troops on the border and he said, watch yourself, you don't get a knife in your kidney. And I end up going to the hole for, a, for several months. And so I only had to watch one guy. I didn't have to watch a thousand because I think they wanted to get me hurt. Everywhere I went was a very rough prison. I bet. So, and 
has your experience in prison uh, changed your attitude towards some of the policies you were uh, pushing before? No, I always supported, I think, the right policies. You know, I think that's why I was put in prison with no evidence whatsoever. And my case may come back to light because they lied, and they, first of all, it was a six-year investigation, over 250 federal agents, at a cost of almost $25 million with no physical evidence, and they testified at trial that they made no audio or videotapes of me in six years. So, you know, that was a lie. Now it's coming back to haunt them because they found out they had videotapes, videos in my cameras in my offices and all kind of tapes. But the reason they said that is that they had nothing on tape to show my guilt, and I could have used those tapes against them. So this case may flare back up again and bite them right on the ass where it should. Why do you think they did this to you? I mean, seven years. In 1983, I'm the only American in history to ever defeat the Justice Department in a RICO trial, full jury verdict, pro se, without being an attorney. The only one. That embarrassed them. But second of all, I brought back John Demenyuk in the late 80s from Israel, and I was a top target of American-Israel Public Affairs Committee for having embarrassed them by proving that Demenyuk was not Ivan the Terrible and bringing him back from death row. So I became a top target of the Israeli lobby, and no question, you know, I'm label man, I semite, which I'm really not, but they do control much of our government, our press, uh, Broadway, Hollywood, and the money system, and they basically control this country, and you do not want Israel as an enemy, and I became an enemy of Israel. That, I think, was my downfall. Yeah. And this is the case that uh, you looked into the Freedom of Information Act articles about this gentleman who was uh, later acquitted. Uh, is that correct? Yes, he was sentenced and convicted of death, and was on death row in, in German prison. And then I uncovered the evidence that proved that not only that he wasn't Ivan, but who Ivan really was. And I submitted it. First of all, the Sixth Circuit Court in Cincinnati would not accept the evidence. And Congress wouldn't hold a hearing. It was too sensitive. And I said in Congress, I said, since when does sensitivity waive the Bill of Rights? So the bottom line was that uh, I sent it to the Israeli Supreme Court, and they released them after I did a Today Show interview with Brian Gumbel and said Israel's going to lose about $25 billion a year. And he said, well, they get $3 billion, Congress. And I said, that's only one bill. I said, yeah, that's the foreign aid bill. And I said, that's $5,000 for every man, woman, child in Israel. I said, but no one's looking at loans. Loans converted to grants, grants, economic assistance, military assistance, trade, compact. I said, they get about $25 billion a year, thirty-five, forty thousand 40000 for every man, woman, and child from the American taxpayers. I said, they put this man to death on the strength of the evidence that I've submitted. They're going to lose that money. It's going to blow up on their face. Hell, I got a call that night from the Israeli Supreme Court in my hotel room in Jerusalem. said, he will be delivered to me tomorrow night at Tel Aviv Airport. Take him home. And I brought him home. Wow. And as soon as they put me in prison, they took him back to trial. They had never taken him back anywhere if I was still in Congress. Because they know I would have stood on the House floor and said, how many times are you going to do this to this guy, you know? And it was a really trumped-up charge that he lied on some papers. And they all did. All those Ukrainians did. Because if they didn't, they'd have been repatriated back to the Ukraine, and Stalin would have put them up in front of a firing line and executed them. They all lied. That's definitely true. Now, I heard when you were in office, you also refused to foreclose on people's homes. When I was a sheriff, yes. I wouldn't sign the transfer deeds and uh, force them to come to grips with it, with the banks and the, in the court in Youngstown. And they gave reprieve to people. When I was in Congress, I passed legislation for a housing counseling assistance with an 800 number. Uh, a 45-day notice must be given and a program that works out differences uh, with the 
borrower and the bank and uh, even some of the newspapers would give me a lot of good press that it was a good program, saved a lot of homes. Yeah, I bet it definitely did, especially with everything that has come out from the 2008 crash that, uh, you know, just showed the pure amount of criminal activity that the big banks have been committing, especially with the foreclosure of homes. Uh, since coming out of jail, what, what's your take on everything that has come out? Well, you can see the inevitable collapse, and I, I'm the, predicted an implosion in our country similar to the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, by the year 2030. Now, Pat Buchanan has come out. I understand that he's predicted an implosion by 2025. I mean, the debt is becoming insurmountable, and people are going to get tired of sending their money to Washington and seeing that money go to cities like Detroit and Chicago and Los Angeles and New York, and there's half of the working people are paying for it, half of the people are not working, and it's going to blow up on their face. People are getting tired of spending, spending, and spending taxes and taxes and seeing that tax money go to people who are not working and taking advantage of the system. A lot of them are qualify, many of them are abusing it. There are more people on Social Security disability in America than the entire population of Greece. Come on now. A lot of these people, are, some of them are drug dealers on the street, getting Social Security disability money, financing their street business. Now, of course, the system can't continue because there's no way financially that it could even uh, fathom all the money that's coming in and all the money that's coming out. But with your prediction, can you tell us more about that? And, and where did you make your prediction? Who did you talk to? And, and where can people find out more about well, it? I more or less have stated it many times. I, I write columns for the American Free Press. Uh, I did a, a national interview with Greta von Susten where I discussed it, that there will be an, the implosion will definitely come. The debt is insurmountable. We're a managed debt economy nation. There's no question. And people are going to get sick and tired of it. We've got a tremendous immigra illegal immigration problem, and we've got open borders. We've got a Homeland Security Agency with open borders. And I passed legislation in Congress to bring 10,000 troops from overseas and put them on our borders. And it never saw the light of day because the Senate opposed it, McCain and those guys. They want those Hispanic votes, and that's what we're in. Both parties are catering to this Hispanic vote. It's a big block of votes so they can continue to their continuity in office and their, maintain their majorities. So they're going overboard to help, but, you know... It's just going to be another cycle of people moving towards government dependence. And it's too much. There's too much government dependence. I rate a classification of people known as government dependence is exceeding now 40% in the United States. Think about that. Maintain their majority. And that we're at the point now where, what, 50% are basically. You know, it's just going to be another cycle of people moving towards government dependence. And it's too much. There's too much government dependence. I rate a classification of people known as government dependence is exceeding now 40% in the United States. Think about that. And uh, we're at the point now where, what, 50% are basically paying the taxes, and they're going to get fed up. They're, not, they're still listening to the propaganda coming out of Washington. The truth is they're starting to wise up. They're getting fed up, and when, when the government's, starts to collapse and you see the economy starting to break, that's when you'll see the rest, restlessness of the American people. They see these political uh, maps on TV, the blue and the red, where you're going to see blue states and red states, and these, some of these states are going to want to secede from the Union, and I can see it coming. I predict Alaska will be the very first. They have their own revenue stream, their big land mass. I see Texas and the compact of states separating. 
I see some of those states out there, Montana, Wyoming, you know, they're just going to be tired of sending their money to Washington and seeing it going be distributed to these cities. And they've had it. They're tired of paying the bills, and you can't blame them. And so no one's seeing the social disruption. No one's reading the symptoms. They're not problems in America. These are symptoms of of a systemic collapse that no one's really looking at. Is there a solution to any of these problems? Well, number one, you have to throw out the income tax code. And everybody's got to pull their fair share. And the way you do that is with a consumption tax that no one can avoid, and everybody pays. And Harvard did a study on the traffic in Tozan bill years ago, which called for a flat sales tax for everything, and said that there would be no price increases. Because when you take out the tax code, 25% of the cost of producing a manufactured item in America is just to comply with the tax code and the voluminous tax code. So when you take that out, companies won't be looking for perks and looking for the ways to avoid taxes. They also are looking for market share. Prices will come down. don't have a margin to move down to. So when you do that, you see companies moving back to America where America will be more hospitable to business and industry. Uh, everybody talks about the industrious, uh, the patriotism of industry. Hey, they left because they can't make it here. Their, their competition is overseas without the regulatory burden and the cost burdens faced here, and they're getting their ass clean. So they've moved overseas to keep their business and industry afloat. And unless we change our policies and move towards a system where everybody pulls the load, it will collapse. And that is, I think, the big thing that must be done. It's one of the things I'll be talking about here today the bill that I sponsored. I believe if I wasn't separated from Congress, I would eventually pass that. And then also at the same time, if we get rid of the taxes, we stop feeding the beast, the yeah. military-industrial complex, yeah. the medical one, the war on drugs, all those all things would not happen. You'll see all yeah. of it start to, the marketplace will start to straighten much of that out. And I think that's where we have to go. And uh, you take the regulatory burden off, you'll be creating jobs the old-fashioned way, not government jobs. You know, every, everybody really hasn't looked at all these things that are happening, like Obamacare. Nobody's really labeled it. Obamacare is a jobs bill. You realize how many new jobs are created through that? Making it look like the American economy is growing. They create 169 new bureaucracies and agencies with all kind of positions and jobs. Just that one thing. So they're creating government jobs like that one year they had the big explosion of jobs. It showed a great revival in America. It turned out that 400,000 of those jobs were part-time census workers. Yeah. The government was paying. I mean, when it came to light, they were all embarrassed by it. Yeah. Look, you got to go the old-fashioned way. Government can't be hiring people. Government got to get the hell out of the way. We don't need a Department of Energy, a Department of Education. We don't need EPA. Congress has set standards. The states could operate within those standards and set up their programs. This is the United States of America, not the central government of America. Let's not also forget that with Obamacare, the IRS has been increased more than ever throughout history than before. Well, even my bill would eliminate the IRS, and even though I don't believe it was ever legally ratified, it would repeal finally and put the nails in the coffin in the 16th Amendment. Yeah. And it's time we do that, sons of bitches. <laughs> Very well Stand said. On the air. Definitely will. Now, I want to know what's next for you, Mr. Trafficant, because I know. I don't know. Even when you were in jail, you were running careful. for Congress. Would you be amazing. careful? Yeah. i got to be careful. So like a lot of friends say, they've already destroyed you. They've taken away your name. Be careful you don't get too much in the public eye again because they'll kill you. Yes.
absolutely right. And that was traffic. We are changed. It made him look like an idiot, and you know, he made a lot of sense, and you you didn't know it until after, out, much after what he was. So doing. he was basically framed. Yeah, and Congressman takes on AFAC and gets thrown in prison. Okay, he was, well, that's what he it was, was really on in that in, in attacking AFAC. So anyway, folks. <sighs> We're, wow. It's that time, and we want to thank everybody who joined us tonight. And uh, join us tomorrow night when we uh, when we bring in union news, environmental news, and yep. a bunch of issues. And um, stay with us, folks. We we got a lot to talk about. And uh, and uh, it's up to you to keep informed. To keep informed and tell your friends to join us too. So have a great um, night. Good night, and Talk to you tomorrow. I hope. Tune yeah. us in. Good night, folks. Good night, everyone. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.